to Women Worth Knowing, the radio program and podcast hosted by Cheryl Broderson and Robin Jones-Gunn. There are so many Christian women with fascinating stories, whether missionaries, musicians, reformers, authors, or wives and mothers, and their examples are inspirational to us all. This is Robin Jones-Gunn, and Cheryl Broderson is traveling, but I have back in studio Marlene Rice, we did part one. Welcome back, Marlene. Aloha again, Robin. One of my favorite people on the planet, you are. (laughs) Oh, well, it's mutual, you know, so that's why I was especially excited that you could be here. And uh, I hope that if you have not yet listened to the first part, that you'll go back and listen. Marlene is the um, Development the development director at the Maui Food Bank. And in the wake of the horrible... Lahaina Fires, um, Marlene has been at the forefront of getting food and supplies to people of West Maui. And her experience there has been really, truly where God placed her. When she and I got on the phone soon after the fires, I kept saying, for such a time as this, my friend, for such Mm -hmm. a time as this. Because as a nonprofit organization and the ability for them to just get boots on the ground and get the food right out there or get the supplies just taken to where they need to go, it's different than, I just want to say this, there's sometimes when there's a disaster and we feel like we want to contribute, where do we send? And when there's just really global ministries, which are wonderful that do things, but it takes them a while to get to the site. It takes them a while to get the funds channeled. They have administrative costs, but uh, I'm, I'm thrilled to be sending people to the Maui Food Bank to be able to do donations that will get dispersed through the, what, 17 other agencies you work with on island. 177 agencies oh. <laughs> we work with. <laughs> oh, I never was very good at math. <laughs> yes. So, but Marlene shared about that in the first episode, and I wanted to do a second part because the ways that God has worked in this woman's life are truly amazing. And yet, if you know Marlene, you'll feel like you did get to know her after listening to this podcast. She's just normal like the rest of us. And so it's really stories about an ordinary woman who trusts an extraordinary God and the ways that he has moved in her life. So some of you know I'm a writer, and so, of course, I encouraged Marlene to write her stories down. She had to write a book, and she has. I'm thrilled to tell you. The title is Ever-Changing Seasons, Never-Changing God. It's not yet uh, available, but it will be very soon. Maybe by the time this podcast airs, it'll just be a few more weeks before it's available. And um, you can look in the show notes for how to contact Marlene to speak at an event or how to track down her um, book. She also has a children's book that's adorable. So Marlene, you have over the years worked with over 40 Christian ministries, such as Open Doors, which I also worked with, um, TBN, Luis Palau, Dr. D. James Kennedy, and Reinhard Bonnke, and also Campus Crusade for Christ, which is also now known as Crew. And you worked right here, not far from the studio where we're recording, at the Full Gospel Businessmen Association. So 
Let's start there because I know a very wonderful story of what happened in your life uh, when you were working at the Full Gospel Businessman. Okay. I I do want to say I have worked with a lot of ministries. I've been on staff, but also my background is uh, film and television. Yes. And so I produced a lot of um, TV series and um, documentaries for a lot of these ministries. So, But Full Gospel Businessmen, I worked for them for five years, and it was my first job with a Christian organization after I became a Christian. And um, I was adopted. I was born in Canada and um, raised in Southern California, but I was adopted. And when soon after I became a Christian, I had a desire to meet my biological family and to know if I had any brothers or sisters. And so... I was telling a friend at Full Gospel Businessman about this, and her and I began a search. And it did not take that long, and we found my biological mom and three um, siblings, half-siblings of mine, and they were all in Winnipeg, Canada. And so my friend from Full Gospel, Vicki, who Cheryl actually knows Vicki. It was Vicki Wilson at the time. And um, she contacted a television show called Fantasy, hosted by Leslie Uggams and um, and then an, and another gentleman. And they reached out to my mom and my half-sister, and all they manipulated all of these things to take place behind my back. <laughs> yes. And um, one day, my boss said, I want you and Vicky to go up to see this television show, Fantasy. And Marlene, I want you to watch the camera angles and watch the lightings the way they have the lighting set up. And I thought, that is ridiculous. That's not even what I do in the TV department. And I thought it was weird. But I get there, and it turns out that I was reunited with my biological mom on that TV show. And <laughs> I can't even imagine. I can't even imagine. And shortly after that, my one of my half-brothers came to Christ. Mm. Uh, my half-sister uh, came to Christ her boyfriend at the time, now her husband came to Christ, and I still have a long-running relationship with them. So beautiful. God loves redemption stories, doesn't yes, he? Yes, he does. Reconciliations. He does, it was, and it was exciting. Best. Oh, so you grew up here in, uh, well, Canada first, but then ended up here in Southern California. Right. Where, where the studios are located, and um, it, a lot of people who have watched the Jesus Revolution movie kind of got that feel of yes. what it's like here during that time. Yes. And you know firsthand very well what it was like during that time. Exactly. In the 60s, and I was raised in an upper middle class family. I had anything and everything that I needed and wanted. But there was a real deep emptiness inside me because, number one, I never knew Christ. Mm-hmm. I, I Jesus was not a part of my life. Um, we went to church on Easter and Christmas, and that was it. And so, like so many people, People of that generation and probably even of all the generations to come, you're always looking for a place to belong. And I didn't belong anywhere. I didn't belong with the cheerleaders. I didn't belong in the school band. Um, I didn't belong in sports. But I finally found my tribe and I found a group and it was the hippie movement. So I jumped right in. I was a junior in high school, and I started doing LSD and everything else that that people were doing. Didn't smoke a lot of pot because it hurt my throat, and I wasn't into any kind of pain. But um, I was a part of that whole movement. And I'll never forget, um, it was probably shortly after my senior year in 1967, and I was living with a group of people. We were all just friends, and one of them... um, used to smuggle pot from Mexico and distribute it all the way up to um, Canada. But 
in the midst of that, I met a, a friend. Uh, her name was Marty, and she had a friend that worked at one of the local universities, and he was a chemistry major, and he was making LSD in the school lab after hours. Crazy. And I got this great job making LSD deliveries for him. Great job. Um, because nobody really would suspect me. I mean, I actually, even though I was living the hippie lifestyle, I, besides the beads and everything, I looked fairly normal. And one day he called me and he said, I have a delivery for you to make in Laguna Beach. He wouldn't tell me who it was. And I said, okay. And I got over there and he handed it to me. He told me where to go. And I got into Laguna Canyon, got to the house, and there was a guy standing on the on the deck of the house and he waved at me and I recognized him, but I couldn't put a name with the face. And then all of a sudden I realized who it was and it was Timothy Leary. Arlene. So I brought in and I said, this is from this chemist from this university. He said, you're really going to like this. And he goes, come on in, come on in. And the next thing I knew I was sitting down with a group of people and he just threw all this acid on the table and everybody was picking it up and taking it. But I knew I had to get home, so I I didn't participate in that. And all of a sudden, a young guy comes up to me, and he's got long blonde dreadlocks, and he whispers in my ear, and he said, I think it's time for you to leave. And I got up, and I left. Mm. And the next day, I found out that house had been raided by narcotics agents, and everybody was arrested. And had I stayed there, I would have been one that got arrested. So I ended up living on a, moving to Southern Oregon, living on a hippie commune up there, and was really into um, Eastern philosophy and the metaphysics. But it brought no, it brought nothing. It mm. like brought zero. It was interesting to read about, but there was nothing. And then an old friend of mine showed up at the commune, and I noticed that he'd cut his hair and he shaved his beard. And I said, what happened to you? Did you get busted? Were you arrested? Because that's what they would do back then when you got arrested. They would cut your hair, shave your beard. He goes, no. And I said, well, what are you doing? And he said, well, I'm singing in the choir at Melody Land Christian Center. And I go, <laughs> Quite a what? transformation. And he shared Christ with me and I accepted Christ. Mm. And Beautiful. at that moment, I became a Christian. And I went from there. I went and worked on a Mennonite mission on the Hopi Indian Reservation and worked with the Navajos and the Hopis, and that was life-changing. I went on to um, went on to Bible College, and then I ended up back in Southern California, and my first job was with Full Gospel Businessman Fellowship. So then after you'd been in ministry for a while, what were the next steps that happened? You had a baby when you were still in Oregon? I, yeah, I had two children. Yes, and Daniel I just remember the story of like being in a little waiting pool and— the first day you arrived on the commune. I think I'm a baby now. <laughs> yes, okay, I was, here's a waiting I was, pool. I was pregnant when I arrived on the hippie commune. And at um, about 2 o'clock in the morning, I woke up. And Robin, picture this. There's no electricity. There's no running water. This little cabin has plastic over it for windows. And there's an outhouse. And I, I, I start having a stomachache. And I, I walk barefooted with snow on the ground because I couldn't find my shoes out to the outhouse and still had this pain for the next three hours and realized I was in labor. And there, everybody just had their kids at home. So I didn't know any different. A midwife came over. And um, the funny thing was, is that my husband and a whole other group of people, half of them were in the house, but there was about 30 uh, people outside smoking pot and chanting and playing drums. And that's how a Kamala came into the world. And she turned out okay. She did. <laughs> she but turned she, out great. She also tells everybody that she was born in Hogue Hospital and my mom had a room with a view. 
which is a total <laughs> lie. But she never wants to hear that story of her actual birth. Oh. So um, as I began to work in ministry, it was really uh, life-changing for me because I saw not only could I just have a relationship with God, but I could do something for God. And mm-hmm. you don't have to work in a ministry to do something for God. You can do something for God wherever you are. and um, But in each of the ministries that I worked with, I learned a different dimension of God. And one of, of course, one of my favorites was Open Doors with Brother Andrew, mm-hmm. who you also worked for. Yes. And um, for those of the, you that don't know about Open Doors, is Open Doors is an organization that uh, was smuggling Bibles, still smuggles Bibles, mm-hmm. but at that time when I was with them in smuggling Bibles into communist countries. Mm-hmm. And I and I just want to share one little story about that. Oh, yes. My first trip, the book God Smuggler was all about Brother Andrew's trips into Eastern Europe. And so that's, of course, where I wanted to go. And I was so excited. And my boss said, you're going to lead a trip, a Bible smuggling trip. And I'm going, oh, yay, Eastern Europe. It's where I've always wanted to go, what I've wanted to do. And he goes, no, 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 you're going into China. I said, I don't want to go in China. I don't. I don't even like Chinese food that much. I don't know anybody in China. And he goes, Marlene, you're going where we need you to go, and that's where you're going. So Again, let me go back to the beginning of the show. This is uh, an ordinary woman with an extraordinary God, and it's what happens when you just surrender. And I am more ordinary than most people. Even if you don't like Chinese food, go yeah. where God tells you to go. Exactly. That's the moral of this story. So tell us what happened. So I'm now I leading like 10 people into China. I've never done this before. And um, the only thing I knew about China was that in Chinese restaurants, everything's red. So I bought a red jacket because we don't want to be conspicuous when we're smuggling Bibles into a communist country. And um, we get to Hong Kong, we pack up all the Bibles, and we were taking 2,000 New Testaments into Beijing out of Hong Kong. Mm. And I'm ready. I got my red jacket on. We land in Beijing. Not one person, Robin, is wearing red. Nobody is wearing red. They're all wearing gray and navy blue Mm. and olive green. Mm. And I stand out above and beyond anybody else. And the other thing you don't do in Bible smuggling, you separate from everybody. And if you get caught, they don't, your friends don't wait for you. You have to navigate through whatever you have to navigate through. Right. So... The bags had been packed for me. I had no idea how heavy they were. And I see my two suitcases come around on the conveyor belt. I reach out to grab one of the bags. I start to pull it off. It is so heavy. It pulls me onto the conveyor belt. Oh, no. I'm now laying on top of my suitcase, going around. And, and one of in the your people, red coat. In my red coat. Picture this. And one of my <laughs> there she comes. One of my friends that was smuggling Bibles with me starts laughing so hard that he had to walk away. He couldn't even look. <laughs> so the security guys that are there, the Chinese security guys, and they all have guns and everything, they see this poor American woman laying on the conveyor belt (laughs) on her suitcase. They rush over to help me, and I really don't want them to. They pull my suitcase off. They can hardly get it off. They help me, and um, they don't speak very good English. And they go, are you okay? And for some reason, and I don't speak Spanish at all, when they said, are you okay, I said, see. And they go, (laughs) Spanish, Spanish, you speak Spanish. And I nod my head. And it turned out one of their sisters was in Barcelona going to school in Barcelona, Spain. They carried my suitcases, got me through, and all those Bibles that I was carrying got distributed. (laughs) And I made probably 
oh, 15 trips doing that. And that was life changing. In that moment, I knew that when you're where God wants you to be, no matter how scary it might look, Mm -hmm. he's there with you and he will absolutely get you through. So true. And so um, I did go on to Fuller Theological Seminary. I did half my master's in religion program there. And then I did half at Trinity International that's out of the Chicago area. So I've had... I feel lots of incredible experiences where I've seen God move in marvelous ways. And when I share my testimony, sometimes people will go, oh, you've done so much. You've done this. You've done that. And I always say, you you can do it, too. There's nothing different about me. I just did what came was made available to me yes. is what I would do. I would pray, Lord, what do you want me to do? And something would come up, a ministry opportunity. Can you produce 18 documentaries for Campus Crusade for Christ? I'm there. I could do it. I had the time. So people go, well, you've had this great life, Marlene. No matter, no, no wonder why you're always praising the Lord. And I said, well, you don't know a lot about my life. And I want to tell you, when my husband was a youth pastor, we got a phone call from the Newport Beach Police Department. Our kids were in church every Sunday. They were in Sunday school. They were in youth group. And I'm just going to add, you had four kids yes. at this point, and they're high school and beyond. Junior high and, and high school at that point. And clearly, you have been, both you and Frank, just following the Lord. How can yes. we serve? He's in full-time ministry at a church. You've been working full gospel businessmen and other ministries, and you get the phone call from the yes. police department. And at that time, my belief system was, I'm doing everything I know to do for God. Yeah, There's nothing, Is my family's intact. Mm-hmm. He's blessing my family. Mm-hmm. And Frank was in a meeting at church, and the church secretary comes in, and um, very typical in churches, they always give the details when they want to give a prayer request. We probably need to pray right now because the police department's on the phone. And this is the whole staff and Frank, because Daniel has just been arrested by the police department for, by the Newport beach police for drinking on the beach. So I think we should just pray for Daniel right now. <laughs> well, it took about 30 seconds for the entire church to find out that the youth pastor's son had just been arrested. Ugh. And Daniel was maybe 14 at the time. Mm-hmm. So, Fast forward, it continued to get worse and worse and worse. Not only did Daniel develop a drinking problem, but he was also doing every kind of drug there was on the planet. And we still had him in church every Sunday. He was in our home. We put him in Teen Challenge. Daniel had been, by the time he became an adult, in eight rehabs. And sometimes you get to a point when you're dealing with, with someone that you love so much and you see them destroying their life, Robin, you can't even take it. And one day I was on my way to work. I was working for TBN at the time. It was another one of my crying moments. Mm -hmm. And I burst into tears and I pulled over to the side of the road. It's like, that's where God always speaks to me almost audibly. That'll be your next book. On the side of the road. (laughs) On the side of the road. God was there. (laughs) And even a policeman pulled up behind me to see, are you okay? And I'm sobbing. I'm going, I have a son and he's a drug addict and I think he's going to die. And I'm on my way to work. I work at TBN. And so the policeman looks at me and he goes, I'm a Christian. I'm going to pray for you right now. Oh, beautiful. And he prayed for me. And the Lord spoke to me and he said, Marlene, as you are faithful to minister to other people's children, I will be faithful to bring people into your son's life. And that is exactly, exactly Mm -hmm. what God did. And 
at a point in time when Daniel called us and he had a gun to his head in front of the coast, old Costa Mesa Theater mm-hmm. and was going to shoot himself, stoned out of his mind. He's probably about 18 at the time. I picked up the phone and I called the Costa Mesa Sheriff's Department. And this sheriff said, there's a lot of restrictions, Marlene, in a situation like this. I can't just really go over there um, because of ramifications and talk to your son. And he has a gun in his hand. And I said, all I can tell you, officer, if this was your son and you called me and I was the closest person to access him, I would get in the car and I would go. He said, okay, I'm on my way. And that officer's name was? That officer's name was Officer Fate. (laughs) So Daniel did not kill himself. He went on after about the eighth rehab a year later, gave his life to Christ, uh, is a pastor of a church on Maui, has a very successful prison ministry, has a group called Transformation, very similar to Celebrate Recovery, where there's over 200 people. And... um, Serving God today. And the vibrancy of Daniel's ministry, and I've been to his church, and I've heard him preach, and I just, his, he radiates the Lord. He does. And he has this beautiful testimony of redemption that there's no one that he goes to in the prisons and in yes. all these ministries that God has brought to him, yes. uh, uh, even outside of Maui. Yes. There's no one that he goes to and cannot look in the eye and yes. say, God's power is greater yes. than this demon, this power that's that's got a hold of you right now. Yes. God can deliver you. He delivered me. There's exactly. Just phenomenal how that's been permeated through his his story to bring him to a place of, of such a Yes. The, the outreach that he has. And Beautiful. If I, if I could just add one thing um before we close about this. Whenever I share Daniel's story, and that's a whole story in itself, people will come up to me and they'll, they'll be in tears and they'll say, my story, I'm so happy for Daniel, but, but my son, my daughter overdosed and died. I grab them, I hug them, yes. I cry with them, and then this is what I tell them, Robin, and I believe this with all my heart. Nobody steps into eternity without Jesus showing up some way. Either someone's praying for that that person, he's remembering or she's remembering a sermon or a Bible verse or a song is playing. But I guarantee you that your child did not step into eternity without Jesus being there to manifest himself to that person. Now, whether they chose to go with Christ or not in that moment, mm. we can't determine. Mm. But your child was never abandoned by the Lord. And I believe that with all my heart. And... um I did have a life verse that carried me through during all these times, and it was Ephesians 5.17. Therefore, do not be foolish and thoughtless, but understand and firmly grasp what the will of the Lord is. Because when you know what the will of the Lord is, and you grasp it, and you make it your own, you are going to have the faith you need to get you through whatever you're going through. And um, I just want to say a hearty amen to amen. that. That's beautiful, Marlene. I, I, I'm so grateful that you were able to slide over here to California. You had a family gathering, and it, it's just been so rich to see you. Oh, and thank you, I Robin, I love the for way the Lord me. works in your life. And just by your sharing so vulnerably and openly, I know this is going to be an encouragement to many of our listeners. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Mahalo. Mahalo, Nui Loa. Mahalo for having me. Of course. 
Well, we hope you'll join us the next time we talk about a woman worth knowing. And we want you to know you are a woman worth knowing. And God's hand is on your life. I hope you trust him in all things. Until next time, this is Robin Jones-Gunn, and Cheryl Broderson will be here with us next time. Bye-bye. listening to Women Worth Knowing with Cheryl Broderson and Robin Jones-Gunn. For more information on Cheryl, visit CherylBroderson.com or follow her on Instagram or Facebook. For more information on Robin, visit RobinGunn.com or follow her on Instagram or Facebook. Join us each week for a lively conversation as we explore the lives of well-known and not-so-well-known historical and contemporary Christian women. If you think there is a woman worth knowing, we'd love to hear from you. Email us at www at cccm.com. We hope you've enjoyed today's episode. Make sure you rate us on your podcast app, subscribe, and share it with a friend. Thank you again for listening to Women Worth Knowing with Cheryl Broderson and Robin Jones-Gunn. Women Worth Knowing is a production of Calvary Chapel Costa Mesa.